Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. Enjoy today's message. Hi, everybody. Are you ready for the Bible today? I'm so excited to bring God's word to you today, and I pray that it be a blessing to you. I'm going to open up with Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. We've been opening up the last several weeks with this scripture because we're in this series called Love, and I love how God has always loved us. He'll always love us, and he's pursuing us with his kindness. Let's take a moment and let's pray before we jump into it today. God, thanks for your word. Thank you for your ability to speak to us right now. We open up our ears and our hearts, God, to hear from you. We know, God, that you have something to say to each and every one of us, and we want to hear it. Lord, I pray for the empowerment, the leading of your Holy Spirit, God, to impart what's in your heart today. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word to transform our lives and to draw us closer to you. We thank you for it. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in this series called Loved. And in the first, the first part, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the basis or the starting point of God's love. And how just like a parent loves their child, God loves you because you're his creation. Because he created you in his image. And he can see that part of him in you because you're created in his image. And he loves you. He's made a decision to love you from the very beginning from creating you. Last week, we looked into the story of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. And we talked about how God doesn't need performance from you, that he already does love you. And that we need to have the ability to slow ourselves down, just like Mary did, so that we can simply listen to Jesus, be with Jesus, receive what he has for us. We need to learn how to receive his love. And a lot of times that has to do with slowing down. Martha was rolling, 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 performing, 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 but she was missing the presence of God. She was missing what he was saying. She was missing the opportunity to be with him and to receive from him, and we don't want to miss that. Today, I want to talk to you about God's love in the midst of our failures. All of us have fallen short. All of us um, have moments where we disappoint ourselves and disappoint others. And one of the things that often um, becomes in limbo in that moment is, does God really love us? And how does he love us? And what does it look like? Because we, when we fail, we disappoint ourselves, we disappoint others. And today I want to take it to Scripture, to a place where somebody failed and they failed really big. And we're going to see how God interacted with that person in the midst of their failure. And to do that, I'm going to take you to this Old Testament Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to talk about King David, who's a real hero of ours in the Bible. And we're going to look at, frankly, one of his greatest failures. In 1 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 5, it says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's army and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed, and he walked on to the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. 
The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. When you read this story in the, in the Word of God, uh, it can really like slap you in the face because it's like, wait, wait, what happened? Um, this story is about King David, like our David who slayed Goliath, our David who set up the place of worship to God, our, our David who wrote such famous psalms that we all rely on, like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who's fallen. He's the one who's failed. He's the one who's done the unthinkable. And y'all, I got to say, like, it's bad, y'all. There's like no way to gloss over how bad this is in Scripture and how great this failure is in Scripture. And it's important to remember, this is King David. Like, he's done so many exploits already. And yet there's this terrible failure. And actually what we're going to find out is that it's a series of failure, of failures. It, it starts with adultery, right? David sleeps with a married man's wife, right? And she's pregnant because of David sleeping with her. So now you can't hide it, right? Or can you? David brings her husband Uriah home from the battlefield, the place that David is supposed to be. Scripture points out that he's supposed to be at war, you know, David, but he decides to stay at home. Um, there's something going on in him where he's not doing what he is, his own duties and what he's supposed to do. He brings Uriah home from war. And uh, David tries to give Uriah a night with his wife so that, you know, they can sleep with each other. And it's really David's way of trying to trick Uriah into thinking it's his child. Well, the plan doesn't work because Uriah is such an honorable man that he won't go home to his wife. He sleeps at the city gate because of all of his brothers being um, on the uh, battlefront right now. And so it doesn't work. So what does David do? He continues to try to cover up, but then he sins even more. He puts a letter in Uriah's hand to take to the battlefront. Uriah gives it to the commander, and the, the letter says, In the heat of the battle, leave Uriah up front and pull back our forces. Basically, sending Uriah to his death. So now he has planned Uriah's murder. It works. Uriah dies on the battlefield. And then David marries Bathsheba. Y'all, so many times, right, the cover-up, is even worse than even the starting crime. Not to minimize the crime of adultery and what he's done with Bathsheba. Um, but after all of this, our King David just kind of carries on with his life. But then, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan tells David a parable which is intended to help David like snap out of it, like wake up and realize the gravity of his sin and repent or change his heart, change his mind about the matter, right? And it works. David hears this parable that enrages him, and, you, and the prophet Nathan looks at him and says, listen, David, you're that guy. You're the person who's doing this, this terrible thing. And David, in that moment, he does repent, and he just says, oh my gosh, what have I done? He like snaps out of it and goes, you know, basically, this isn't me. This isn't who I want to be. What am I doing? 
And he, in that moment, decides, I've got to repent. And we're going to take a moment, and we're going to look at David's repentance. But before we do that, I want to, I want to point this out. Who sent the prophet, right? It was God who sent the prophet, right? So the next question is, why did God send the prophet Nathan to David? And this is really important. It's because he was calling David back to himself. He was calling David to repentance. It was because he loved David. God wanted David to turn around. He didn't want David to run from him or to to rebel from him. He wanted David to turn around. And he's calling David back to himself. And, you know, when I read this story, it's so difficult, right? It's so offensive because our hero is so fallen, right? I think it's even worse when it's someone you respect and someone you're cheering on in Scripture. He knew better and he failed, right? But the reality is God still loved David. And God wanted to return David to himself. And it's also important to say that, you know, we can quickly forget our own sin and um, our own failures, right? It makes me think of 1 Timothy 1.15 where it says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves all, rep- all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the very worst. And the reality is all of us need mercy. All of us need grace. We're all sinners that Jesus came to save. And David's in this position where he's done such great things for God and we have this wait what moment and David is completely failing. But God sends a prophet. God sends an opportunity for repentance and David responds. Now, what I want to do with you today is I want to dig into David's repentance because we have this rare opportunity to see David's conversation with God about his sin and how he responds to God now that he's repenting. And again, repenting is changing your mind, changing your heart about it, and returning to God and saying, God, forgive me. This isn't who I want to be. I want to turn away from this, right? And so we get to see this because David wrote it into a song. And it's recorded in Psalm 51 in the Old Testament for us. So let's take a look at that. Psalm 51 has 19 verses. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, portions of it to you. So starting in verse 1, it says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with the hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my transgressions. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not 
Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. but Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to me. Now, verse 16, it says, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. You know, I want to say to you today, if you're in the midst of a failure, this is the scripture that you need. You need to know that you can return to God, that what, whatever has happened to, to, drive, to drive yourself away from the Lord, that he loves you and you can return to him. And this scripture is for you because it's a beautiful depiction of how to come to God humbly, honestly, and repent and turn to God. I want to point out a couple of verses in here that we just went over. In verse 2 and 3, um, he says, Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. One of the great things that we see in this act of repentance is that David takes real ownership for what he's done. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't say, well, the circumstances, like... He takes full ownership and says, listen, this was wrong. My sin is always before me, and he is really clear with God. And I think that's really important that when we repent, when we go to God, we're just honest and clear about it. Now, when I say honest and clear about it, I don't mean beat yourself up. I mean be completely transparent with God. He already knows, so why not just be completely honest with God? painfully honest right in verse 7 david says cleanse me with the hyssop which i'm assuming is some kind of cleaning agent back then right cleanse me with the hyssop and i will be clean wash me and i will be whiter than snow the reality is david knows that god has the ability to to sanctify him god has the ability to clean him god has the ability to take the grime and the muck of his sin and remove it from him. And David is formally saying, God, would you clean me? What a humble thing to say, right? I think one of the things that's important to know is we don't clean ourselves. We don't remove our own sin. We make a decision to turn from sin, but it's God who cleanses us from sin. It reminds me of a scripture that I really love in 1 John chapter 1, which is in the New Testament where John basically is writing to Christians um, and he's saying to the Christians, listen, if you say you don't have sin, you are a liar. (laughs) I think that's a good reminder for all of us, right? This is what he says. But if we confess, and this is 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't that sound so much like the verse we just read in Psalm? Purify us from all unrighteousness. He says, clean me in in Psalms and I will be clean. The reality is God will not only forgive you, but he can cleanse you from the shame. He can cleanse you from the muck of it because it's his desire to restore you and to make you whole. I'm so impressed with our God. He wants to treat us so much better than we deserve. And one of the greatest things about 
this psalm is that it's so clear how David is able to be honest with God. And I think that's what we need to be with God. We need to be honest with him in our failure and know that he's, he's going to receive us. And there's an important distinction I want to make here. You know, when we fail, we can have kind of two different things going on inside of us. We can have conviction or we can have condemnation. And I want to talk to you about the difference of the two. When we have condemnation from something that we've done or something going on in our lives, normally it's that feeling of sorrow and shame and all of that. But what condemnation will do in your life is it will make you want to run away from God. And that's not what, that's never the answer. The answer is never, ever, ever, ever run from God. The answer is always run to God. And that's the difference between condemnation and conviction. When you have pure conviction, conviction is it's wrong, but I'm going to run to God and I'm going to come to him. Don't ever let your sin end in condemnation. Let it be conviction and run to him because he wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. Jesus did not pay such a high price for your sin so that you could run from him. He paid such a high price for your sin because he wants you to run to him. Let's look at a couple more verses here in Psalm uh, 51. Verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Isn't that beautiful? He's like, David's like, God, help me with my heart. Obviously, there's a heart problem here because isn't that what happens with sin? There's a heart problem. He's saying, God, help me with my heart and make it clean. Make it pure again, right? And help me to have a steadfast spirit. Verse 11 says, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David is realizing, I don't want to be abandoned by God. And the reality is, God is not going to abandon David. David may be running from God, but God's not running from David. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's God's promise to you and to me. That he's never going to leave us. We're the one who run. We're the ones who cut loose. But God is never running from us. He's always there wanting to receive us. And it's so important for us to know that. Verse 12 says, Return to me. The joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Isn't that a wild thing that David would have the audacity, the courage to say, God, return to me the joy of my salvation. Because isn't it so many times in our own failure, like we feel like we need to put ourselves in the penalty box emotionally, spiritually, hold our heads down for a certain amount of time until I don't know what expires and that kind of thing. And what David is saying is, God, there's a joy to the salvation that you bring to my life. I need that to return. And God wants you to have that joy, the joy of your salvation. Verse 17 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God, you will not despise. The reality is what God is looking from, from looking for from us is humility. He's looking for us to be able to be honest, just like David was when he says, cleanse me from my sins, right? Where we can be honest with him. Now, broken doesn't mean that you have no value. Brokenness in this scripture is saying you don't have pride that you're carrying and holding between you and God, but you have a willingness to be transparent, and humble with him. 
And a broken and contrite heart, God is not going to despise. He's there for those who are humble at heart. And the reality is, God is after your heart. He's not just trying to to save you and get you fire insurance to get you into heaven. He's looking for a relationship with you. And it's his heart that is pursuing your heart. And he loves us so much more than we realize. This kind of love, right? This kind of love is, is so unique. There's no love like this kind of love. Think of it. Adultery, cover-up, murder, and God sends a prophet desiring David's repentance because God loved David. And God loves us. He loves us in the midst of our failures. He still loves us and wants us to return to him. And I want to encourage you today that um, if you, again, are in the midst of a failure, don't let a lot of time go by. Return to God quickly. He's waiting for you. It's important for me to say that there were really heavy consequences to David's family and the, the, the kingdom that David was ruling because of his, of his sin. Um, it's important to say that because while he had his relationship with God restored, there were natural consequences to sin. And isn't that one of the things that God is trying to keep us from and why he's trying to to lead us away from sin is so that we and others don't experience those consequences. But yet in the midst of all those consequences, which were so severe, God forgives and restores David. Not 25%, not 50%, not 99%, but 100% God restores David to himself. Again, that scripture, it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the very worst. Jesus took your sin. He took my sin to the cross. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for me. He took the penalty of death so that you wouldn't have to. He took the penalty of death, so I wouldn't have to. And he calls us to repentance, a change of heart and a change of mind, just like he did David. And he says, confess your sins to me. Be honest and transparent about it. And he says, I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, just like he did David. Y'all, that kind of love is is a love that's so hard for us to understand, especially in the context of this story where David's already a hero and done great things for God. How could he fail the way he did? One of the things that we're going to do today is that we're going to receive communion as a church family here at the end of today's service. And um, if you're watching online uh, today, I just want to encourage you, or maybe even listen to the podcast, you can hit pause and um, maybe get yourself a little bread and a little juice. If you don't have that, it's okay. A substitute works fine. The point is we have something um, that we can use to just say this represents the body of Christ and something that we can use that says this represents the blood of Christ. really doesn't matter what it is. It's the fact that we're using something to represent it. Before we go into communion today, though, I want to say this. Um, God's love for you is so great Maybe today um, 
you have been struggling with a sin in your life, like a, a failure in your life, and you, um, you have not had the power or the ability to overcome that. If that's you today, I want to first ask you the question, have you formally said to God, I want to follow you, I want you in my life? That's the first step. Because the reality is we all need to have a moment. We need to have a time in our life where we say to God formally in our heart and even out loud and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm tired of having my life in my own hands. And I want to know you and draw close to you. I want you in my life. If you've never done that, I just want to encourage you, do that today. And receive the Holy Spirit in your life and receive God's love into your life and know that you can have a brand new start and that God's Spirit comes into your life and He He makes you a new creation. He gives you a fresh start to a brand new journey with Him. And if you haven't done that in the past, let today be your day. If you're watching this on October the 11th, 2020, let today be your day to say yes to Jesus and receive Him into your life. If you're making that decision today, would you let us know? Because we want to be there for you, and we want to rejoice with you. Uh, Go to our website, victorychristian.church, and click on Next Steps. Now, back to what I was saying before. If if you're struggling with a sin and you haven't been able to overcome it in your life, I want to say this, that you are not alone. You are not alone. So none of us can overcome without the empowerment and the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, first of all, I said, have you received God into your life? Have you received his Holy Spirit and said yes to God? That's the first step. The second is, there are some things in our lives that we cannot in our own discipline and strength overcome. We have to rely on God to say no to that sin and to turn from it. And and to do that, you have to rely on him and rely on his Holy Spirit and say, God, I need your help. I don't have the power to overcome this. And so I want to encourage you, if you're discouraged with something in your life today, to, to pray and say, God, help me, empower me. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you can talk to. Um, you can call the church and, and somebody can talk to you about what's going on in your life because we need people around us not to condemn us and not to judge us but to support us and to encourage us and to help us learn how to rely on god's empowerment to overcome in our lives now let's take a moment and we are going to um, receive communion today okay now the first thing that we want to do is we're going to receive the bread today now the bread represents the body of christ and jesus when he was put on the cross he was beaten beyond recognition. And he, was, he received that torture on our behalf. And it says in Scripture that by his wounds we're healed. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so today, when we receive the bread, we recognize that Jesus really came, that he really gave his life for us, and that he was beaten on our behalf. And we honor his work and receive the healing that he brings in our lives. So let's, in a moment, I'm gonna, we'll take this bread together. It says in 1 Corinthians 11:23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread today.
And just take a moment. Let's thank him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you were willing to go through what you went through for us. And we thank you, Jesus, for the healing that you provide through your body which was broken for us. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, we just send your word to the broken today and we honor what you went through for us. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the cup, you know, the cup of juice or whatever you have represents Jesus' blood. And his blood was poured out. His life's blood was poured out to pay for your sins and mine. And that is how we receive forgiveness is because our sins were put on him. And so we're going to receive the cup and we're going to honor what Jesus has done for us. It says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's receive the cup. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. We thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we say, God, we need it. We need it for past sin. We need it for sin in our lives. And Lord, uh, if there's anything specific, you just I encourage you all to just say what's in your heart right now. But God, we say, Lord, would you forgive us of our sins? We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we honor you, Jesus, and what you've done to pay for our sins. And we also recognize you poured out your life. You died a real death. And we thank you that you rose from the dead three days later. And God, that you have new life and victory for all of us. And we thank you, God, for the life that you have for us. And we want to walk in that life close to you. We thank you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for um, being part of the message today and the service today. Um, I want to leave you with this. If you are new today and um, you would like to make Victory your church home, um, we would love to know about it. Would you go to the website, victorychristian.church, and click on Next Steps. We would love to connect with you and make sure you're getting information about church life and uh, rejoice with you, and we'd be honored if you want to make Victory your home. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, just go to victorychristian.church. Have a great day.